These are days of tough times and ongoing uncertainties. But in Spring Branch, we're taking tangible steps to help our local businesses by telling neighbors about PPP loans, linking them to online courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Rachel and welcome to Looped In. This is the Houston Chronicle podcast all about real estate. The dirt, the deals, the people, the places, it's all here. I'm Rebecca Schutz, housing reporter at the Houston Chronicle, and... And I'm Marissa Lack, real estate reporter at Houston Chronicle. We're here today with Mike Morris, one of our investigative reporters, because recently the Texas legislative session took a turn with potentially dramatic implications for real estate. That's because of a bill... Senate Bill 147 that proposes banning citizens and corporations from China, Russia, North Korea, and Iran from buying real estate in Texas. Already, Governor Greg Abbott has said that he would sign this bill into law. So this is crazy. When I first sort of heard this story, I thought, oh, this must be like investors, you know, like people from outside the country who sometimes buy the condos and the condos are empty because it's just a place to park money. But this is actually, if I lived here and I was from China, I couldn't buy a home. Right. I was just like, wow, this is crazy. And when you guys wrote a story, I I think a lot of our listeners would be interested to hear because it seems like I was just totally surprised. So I was just curious, maybe we can start with how did this come about? Yeah, sure. So part of the genesis of it is that a few years ago, a Chinese billionaire bought something like 130,000 acres near Del Rio and was planning to put a, a, um, as I understand it, a a wind farm there to feed into the electrical grid. And that concerned uh, people in the legislature. um, And in the last session two years ago, 2021, they passed a bill that would restrict access to what they defined as critical infrastructure, like the grid and water treatment plants and stuff like that, from the governments or corporations affiliated with the governments of the countries that you you mentioned. And I think the governor has the ability to add other countries to the list. So that was the quote-unquote critical infrastructure bill. So, so the worry was... If this Chinese billionaire owned a wind farm, that they would take it offline in a storm? Or what, what's the worry? I can't articulate the, the worry. I think this is a largely political issue. I mean, I, I think the idea was it was kind of near um, my understanding an air base. So I think like the, it was just wrapped up in this uh, well, we want to preserve our critical infrastructure and not have it be threatened by foreign nations. Some reporting, by the way, said it was 130,000 acres and some said it was 140,000 acres, uh, just as a little aside. But, it, you know, that's like a massive, massive chunk of land. And it definitely would have been bigger than 
any of the the current holdings, as I as I understand, and by Chinese investors in in um, Texas farmlands. Um, but yeah, I think I, I agree with Mike. I think it was kind of part of a, a broader um, broader like political take, trying to seem you know perhaps tough on on outsiders coming in. I'm not I'm not quite sure. But that did get signed into law, right, Mike, in 2021? Yeah, that was signed into law. And this this year, part of the backdrop here is uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Texas Governor Greg Abbott are both being mentioned for the Republican nomination for president um, in 2024. DeSantis just came out recently talking about restricting Chinese investment and whatnot. So, you know, shortly after that, our, our colleagues have, uh, in our Austin Bureau, have covered this on their their podcast called Texas Take, which I would also recommend as a quick marketing plug. Um, you know, so Abbott turns around and says he'll do the same thing. What's interesting is that there is a proposal that was filed more recently by other senators they would essentially just extend the definition of critical infrastructure to cover agricultural land. And there are, you'll find more people who will defend restricting the Chinese government's access to American agricultural land as a strategic imperative for all states and the United States uh, than you will people who would possibly try to defend a ban on citizens owning property. We'll see what happens with where either of these goes, we're months away from committee hearings. When I first heard about the bill, I also thought it was more targeted, Rebecca. I thought it was about agricultural land, just because the way it was written initially, like it would ban Chinese investors from, or Chinese, Russian, Iranian, and North Korean investors from buying land. But then when you look at the actual language of the bill, it's it's just any real property. And it includes not just uh, corporations or people living abroad, but but permanent residents here too. Uh, so then that kind of like prompted us to ask like, okay, well, how much of an impact do investors from these countries and real estate owners from these countries actually have? So Mike, do you want to talk about what you were able to find with Harris County Records? I got a colleague's help on this and we just ran the, the stats on the parcel ownership databases that are public. Um, and it's, um, a tiny sliver, I assume of what's actually out there The the County appraisal district does not track foreign ownership. Uh, what they do track are mailing addresses and it's very common to see a property address be different than the mailing address of the owner. Basically every landlord does that. There were several dozen, roughly 80, uh, parcels and almost all single family homes or condominiums owned by uh, owners with addresses listed in China. Uh, there were only four um, with addresses in Russia and no one listed uh, North Korean or Iranian mailing addresses. It was kind of interesting. There was a, I think it was a condo building in the North shore area where 10 of the condos in the, in the building had Chinese mailing addresses um, or mailing addresses in China. Mostly just single-family homes spread across the suburbs. But again, we, we have no idea kind of what share that makes up of ownership. There are probably any number of companies 
with headquarters in China, Russia, probably to a lesser extent, Iran or North Korea, that are operating in Houston. So there's probably more to do on this topic. Okay, so there's one instance that really galvanized legislators that for some reason they decided to extend to all people, including homeowners and small business owners. And I guess the question is, is this even legal? You know, one thing that comes to mind is fair housing in which race and ethnicity is a protected class. You you talked about it a little bit in your article. I think that that's still a question. Some realtors that I talked to, uh, one realtor who's still actually a permanent resident in China, Kevin Yu, and he has he's been here for 13 years and he's established sort of a niche working with a lot of families that recently migrated from China and Asia overall. And he's mostly working with families, not actual investors per se. But he was saying, you know, he's not really even sure is if if he can really ask about people's nationality. I mean, you can put it together, but he was sort of unclear about that, too. Uh, and, you know, I did talk to uh, this didn't make it into the article. I did talk to a professor, an attorney with University of Houston who mentioned, you know, she thinks that it could be challenged as discriminatory. But also Mike's uh, interviewed a constitutional law professor. He was not entirely clear either. I think what he was pointing out was there's a sense in which it could stand up in court if the, as a matter of a state regulating the use of land in that state, he was less clear on federal government has total control over foreign policy. So that could be an area that could be problematic if the federal government wanted to challenge it, or there are probably other avenues as well. So, yeah, I, I would assume if this bill passes, that it would be challenged by any number of people. Something worth noting is that the, as we're talking about the impact on permanent residents, is that the, the author of this bill, Republican Senator Lois Kolkhorst of Brenham, or of Washington County, I guess, has in interviews said that she intends to amend it to clarify that permanent residents wouldn't be affected, but it's not, that's that's a couple months from happening because um, the lawmakers typically do that when the bills reach committee and that's not happening anytime soon. Even taking her at her word that she would do that, it doesn't remove all impacts on immigrants from those countries. And I think also I've seen some quote that was like, okay, is it going to be all permanent residents or do you specifically have to be on a path to citizenship if she modifies the bill? And one thing that several people pointed out to me is that when you move, especially from a place like China, you, you can't, you know, it's not super fast or easy to become a citizen. Even establishing permanent residency can take Several years, a lot of times it involves, you know, an employer. And then once you get permanent residency, typically you're waiting at least five years to get citizenship. So you, the person who was talking about um, the realtor, was saying that it's not as if like a bunch of these people want to wait that long to be citizens, but they kind of have to. And then another person that I interviewed, Becky Cow, who has been in, uh, in the U.S. for, I think, 20 years or something, she had pointed out also that there are some people, because China does not allow dual citizenship, 
There are some people who want to maintain their Chinese citizenship because maybe they have relatives, you know, older parents that live in China still, or and they want to be able to quickly go back in case there's an emergency, not have to deal with the visas as much. So there is like a slice of people. I mean, Cao herself eventually became a citizen, but there is a slice of people who, you know, would just prefer to be, you know, expats really just living here, um, having a life here, but then still having a toe, you know, in China. But, but I think what Becky Cao pointed out is I kind of included her story in our article, which was when she graduated from college, she was looking for a place, you know, that she might be able to build a life here, get a corporate job, you know, and she chose Texas because she had had this perception of it being more business friendly and, uh, you know, and, and agreed with that kind of approach to, to economics. And, and so she, you know, she was just reflecting on like, wow, like if this bill had come into effect, maybe I wouldn't have chosen Texas and been able to get that first house because she was still a permanent resident when she got her first house. And that kind of was a launch pad for her to build a whole life here, start a family. And she was even reflecting, this didn't make it into the article, but she has another uh, cousin who's studying in California and, you know, had been considering moving to to Texas. And now that cousin's like, I don't even know if I'm going to move there anymore. Like maybe I'm not welcome there. That was a point that she and uh, another uh, realtor, Kenneth Lee, mentioned was just how this could drive away, you know, drive away talent. And I think this is happening in a time where certain industries, high tech industries, uh, healthcare industries, they're going to be looking for talent across the world. You know, and, and if people are coming here from Asia or from these countries to study in different coasts. They're applying across the country. If someone studies, you know, some technology field in California or, you know, or even they're studying in the medical center, they can go to almost anywhere in the States to work on their next job. Like, why would they go somewhere where they can't really own land or maybe they have to wait like five to 10 years to be eligible to own land? You know, it's just why not just go to a place where it's just easier? So I think that was the fear is that it could drive away some immigrants from wanting to even settle down here and, and, you know, scaring off some top talent. Yeah. I'm trying to think of how to put this into words, but I, I feel like there's a lot of conversation right now about whether anti-Asian sentiments are on the rise. I know this impacts more than China and North Korea. It also impacts Russia and Iran, but it's like, um, I feel like there is that feeling that there is an anti-Asian sentiment on the rise in America. And do you think this fits into that narrative? Or do you think it's like purely to protect our infrastructure? You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like there might be this feeling of hurt that an entire people are being judged for the actions of a government that they've moved away from. Yeah, I think it's impossible to separate. I think it it is... Um very clearly a political issue. And I think that it's very clearly a political winner for some voters to criticize the communist government of China. And we've seen repeatedly the impact that that sort of talk has, this uh, othering type of political discourse over the last decade or so, that has a real impact on people. It is the filing of this bill an incitement to violence? I wouldn't go that far. 
but these are clearly political issues. You can't separate policy and politics, particularly against the backdrop of the 2024 presidential race. This it it matters. Like Governor Abbott has not identified a large number of bills that he intends to support. He hasn't issued a list. He's talked about this one. And I suspect it's uh, because the Florida governor talked about a similar topic. I know that right now, Asian Town and Katie is like, is a really big real estate transformation. Houston is known for its diversity. Yeah. And the impacts we haven't touched on yet that you want to highlight. I think Kenneth Lee touched on this a lot. He's been very active over the years. Actually, he first moved to Houston and helped to start a grocery store with his uncle or run a grocery store with his uncle that became popular. It was at the time the grocery store was an anchor store into a broader development that became a popular strip center. And that kind of got him into real estate. Kenneth does both commercial and residential. You know, he was talking about how critical it can be for basically like you buy a house, it's the launch pad into your whole life here. In his view, it's going to over time, it could kind of erode the vibrancy of Chinatown, Asia, or you know, Asia Town in Houston, um, Asian Town and Katy, and and even you know, there's um, some development also in Sugarland that has a heavy like Chinese Asian influence. He kind of saw it as more of like it's going to just slowly sort of drain out over time these communities. Do, do people feel like a sense of anti-Asian sentiment? Maybe that even if they don't. Even if this bill like is modified, you know, is that just does that kind of push into this broader like anti-Chinese uh, rhetoric that's happening now? And, you know, Ke- Kevin, you uh, what I wanted to read one of his quotes, um, a realtor, he said a lot of people think that Chinese people are somehow related to the Chinese government and most of us are not. And I think that's it's it's weird to have to even say that. But it's sort of like, you know, how all three of us on this call are not, you know, we're not directly related to the federal government. But can you imagine like being going abroad and being held responsible for everything that Trump and Biden does? You know, it's it's like kind of similar. And his concern was Kevin was saying that um, I don't want my children to be in this kind of environment where they're set up to be being bullied or looked down upon and eventually feeling ashamed to be Chinese American. His worry is this overall rhetoric and this bill kind of feeds into that. And then, you know, if if people do feel that way in Texas, you know, how long are they going to stick around or even come here? Yeah. I was also interested in hearing more because your story mentions that Canada earlier this year began a two-year ban on international investors purchasing homes. And they did this in order to try to STEM skyrocketing home prices. So for a different reason, but I was just interested in hearing more like, what does that ban entail? And are these comparable? Are they apples and oranges? The Canada ban was something that came up as an example of like something that actually went through recently. When I was interviewing Sheridan Tibbon, who teaches real estate and finance at University of Texas, he noted that, you know, in some certain cities of Canada, Toronto and Vancouver, mostly, there were a lot of investors coming in from China and buying up properties. And I think that it's a different reality here. It's hard because it is a big impact for people in those communities, you know, in Asian American communities in Houston. 
Um, but overall, if you look at the broader picture, it's even though we weren't able to get all the parcel records, the perception that I've talked to among realtors was that it's not like this overwhelming, it's never really been an overwhelming rush of investors coming in from China. It looked at, as I mentioned, we had a hard time finding Harris County data, but National Association of Realtors noted that the 6% of all home purchases were by Chinese investors in the 12-month period ending in March 2022. And that was a national figure. That's not even just in Houston. And most Chinese residential real estate owners are actually going to California, New York, Indiana, and Florida. Um, so I don't know like if it's uh, having the same material impact as it is in, in Canada, but I, I just wanted to include that because... Um, I think that there could be this perception that there's like a bunch of outer towners coming and jacking up prices and that from what I heard, that's not really going on in, in Texas. I don't know what all Canada's ban has, but I know. So it prohibits people who are not Canadian citizens or, or permanent residents from buying residential properties. So, I mean, even then it's still, it sounds like it's still allowing permanent residents to you know, buy a residential. Wasn't it also like a temporary, it was like a two-year thing or something, which of course is part of the, uh, we need to cool off the market. And then also maybe gauge the effects, like if it actually does. Right. Yeah. And there's something else worth noting that we didn't dig into a lot and didn't really include in the story very much, but there are already, there's the, the federal government has some sort of foreign ownership review from a national security perspective. My understanding of this process is that the, you know, a, a corporation affiliated with the Chinese government could not, could not just buy all the land around an Air Force base, you know, that that, that would not, that transaction would be blocked from happening. Already. Yeah. And there's also, yeah, uh, yeah and there's, there's also disclosure rules around ag agricultural land. And as Marissa said, there's, you know, more recently, some bills to actually restrict that, but there are disclosure rules, which is how we know that I think the number was 1%. It was less than 1%. Less than 1%, yeah, of, of total acreage that's owned by foreign investors um, from China. Even on the agricultural side, you know, just like, you know, the wind farm parcel that we discussed earlier, that was really an anomaly in terms of foreign ownership of agricultural land. Could you touch on, Mike, um, the proposal, the SB 552 proposal? Senate Bill 552 would essentially take that critical infrastructure bill that we talked about from two years ago that did, for what it's worth, wind up preventing the, the large wind farm. It basically took that acreage out of the Chinese billionaire's hands. This more recent Senate bill would basically just extend that critical infrastructure definition to cover agricultural land. Um, and again, I think it lists the same companies. And I believe there's a mechanism in that bill that would allow the governor to add additional countries, I believe, um, if I'm recalling correctly. Again, we're, we're weeks away from either of these going to committee, let alone getting out of committee or out of both chambers of the legislature. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting, too, that this is part of a broader, you know, as we discussed, kind of anti-China rhetoric that's been going on. There's moves to ban TikTok, for example, uh, from Texas. So I feel like it, that this is not really the end of it in terms of trying to establish some sort of laws. And, 
you know, the governor trying to position himself as being like tough on China, like, you know, who knows what's going to come up. It, it wouldn't surprise me if more legislation bubbles up, you know, either this session or in the coming months. And so, you know, I think that there's a concern that maybe we won't be seen as like business friendly anymore if we're going to put certain laws on who can and can't buy mm-hmm. and who's allowed or welcome to invest in here. Becky Cow was saying, you know, Texas is basically supposed to be this corporate friendly place. And this is like weird to even put these kind of limits. Yeah. You know, on any sort of real estate ownership, you know, it's supposed to be easy to do business and do real estate here, not more difficult. <laughs> I feel like one of the things about about Texas real estate is that it can be very difficult to determine ownership of real estate because of right. the pervasive use of LLCs and the fact that ownership doesn't really have to be disclosed. You know, there's an agent registered. I'm just like on the ground. How would this even work? It seems like it would impact homeowners rather than companies, if that makes sense. That's totally a question that I had. And almost everyone I talked to was like, yeah, we're not really quite sure how this, how it would get enforced. Yeah. You know, I mean, even in terms of tracking down data, you know, we talked about the difficulty tracking down the residential data, but on the commercial side as well. I mean, I reached out to several different commercial real estate brokerages to see if they could help me like understand, okay, well, how much ownership, how much um, commercial real estate is actually owned by investors from these different countries? Pretty much no No one really had the data. And they're like, oh, well, you can talk to uh, a data firm called Real Capital Analytics. But then they were like, we don't really have this data or like, so it was, it was hard to even track. But the National Association of Realtors did find some information they gave to me. But again, this is um, very broad. It includes all international investors. But they were talking about how among the commercial real estate acquisitions that occurred in the 12-month period ending in the third quarter of 2022. Um, So in that period, um, Dallas had $3.3 billion worth of properties, trade hands, and they were second only behind Manhattan. Houston had like a fraction of that. We had like 1.3 billion um, and then Austin had nearly a billion. But again, that that those are all acquisitions involving every country. So it's it's hard to kind of get an idea of like, you could just set up an LLC here, right? With a Texas address, or you could yeah. put your money into a US company to then move forward and, and invest. So it it raises a lot of question about enforce, um, enforcement that I don't think have been addressed. Yeah, The agriculture one, I think, could be is a little bit easier to address because already there's disclosure laws around who owns agricultural land, like from, by the federal government. Um, but we don't have those disclosure laws for, you know, residential or commercial properties. And, and you know, Harris County Central Appraisal District certainly doesn't require people to report their their country of origin. You know, I mean, people can put mailing addresses, but you could really let, you could set up a mailing address anywhere, right? Since our listeners are in real estate, they might have a similar question because, you know, like it's easy to talk about. It it seems hard in practice. Yeah. I don't think people that don't write about or, you know, don't work in the real estate industry, I don't think they realize how it can actually be very difficult to track who owns things. Like I, I, just in my years, you know, last several years of writing about commercial real estate, like you have to sometimes put a lot of different clues together to even figure out like who is really running this LLC that bought this parcel. So that to me makes it seem like that, as you mentioned, you know, maybe companies and investors that are savvy enough to do that would find a way around it. And then the people who 
maybe our small business owners or homeowners that don't have like an attorney, like helping them figure out how to set up an LLC. Like those would be the ones that would be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for walking us through these bills, you know, what they currently entail people's thoughts. Yeah. We'll be very interested to hear more about it in the future, you know, whether it's just a talking point or what actually does happen during this legislative session, since legislative sessions are famous for going all sorts of unexpected ways. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Thank you listeners for tuning in. If you ever want to send an idea for a podcast or just say hi, you can reach out on Facebook or Twitter. I'm at R-A Schutz. That's R-A-S-C-H-U-E-T-Z. And Marissa is at Marissa like seven. And then Mike's also on Twitter. I am. You should follow him. I am also on Twitter. M Morris 11. There are a lot of Mike and Mark and Mandy Morris's out there. <laughs> yes. And then on our show notes, if you go to HoustonChronicle.com slash looped in, we'll have a link to the story Marissa and Mike wrote, as well as the Texas Take episode, in case you don't have your podcast filled. Thanks to our print editors, Gabby Banks and Brian Rausch. Scott Kingsley is our producer. Thanks to Pharaoh Gibbs and his band, All the Komodos, for the theme music. Until next time.